All right. Well, good morning again. We're so glad you guys are here with us. It's a beautiful day. It's not raining and it's not too hot, so you could be a lot of places, but you're here and we're so excited you guys are here with us. Uh, just a reminder, next week is Labor Day weekend, and I know for a lot of us that have boats, it's like our last hurrah to get out on the lake. And so if you have weekend plans, there's a ton of stuff going on, I'm sure. Uh, don't forget, we have a Thursday service every Thursday at 7 o'clock. Uh, this week, there's a cookout uh, before the service, and so we'll feed you before you get here. So if you have weekend plans, make sure to include Journey uh, in your plans starting uh, Thursday at 7 o'clock. And if you don't have a boat uh, or a camp, uh, we'll be here Sunday, and so 10 and 11, 15, we'll still be here for you. Uh, lots of stuff, like I said. If you've never been to World Fest downtown Louisville uh, on the Belvedere, I highly recommend it. The food is amazing. So anyway, all right, so they don't tell me to say that. I just say it. So, uh, so we are wrapping up this series, Come and See, and uh, where we've been is this early invitation of Jesus to these, these guys and these men and these women that start following him very early on. And the invitation, because they have lots of questions about who Jesus is and what he's doing, is simply just to come and see. Like, come and see, come and see what I'm doing, come and see the difference that he's making. And this is the invitation to them. And as we've been kind of working through some of these stories, essentially there's been a running theme throughout all of these stories. And the running theme throughout these stories is I'm going to kind of build a case for today, not just these stories, but the whole story that we see is this idea of God taking people from what is to what could be. And so what is, is your reality right now. It's your life right now. It's the world that you live in. It's the life that you're living. And so God has this way of moving people from what is to what could possibly be. And so we started with this idea of this blind man. And this blind man has been blind since birth. And so he's been out and he's been a beggar. And he has this encounter with Jesus. And all of a sudden he has this reality of what his life has been to this moment that Jesus allows him to see, and now all of a sudden his life has changed. And so he's moving from this idea of what has been to what could be. And then last week we looked at the woman at the well, and we see this woman who's isolated herself because of the pain and heartache from her past. And so all of a sudden we have this encounter with Jesus, and it moves from what is for her and what's possible for her to what could be, and her life changes. As we see, it doesn't just change for her, it actually changes for a whole community of people because of this woman and what happens with her. And we started this whole series with this idea of these disciples, these early people that started following Jesus, these men and these women that we hear their stories and we would know their names. But these men at their beginning were outcasts, downcast men of little esteem, common fishermen looked over by the elite of their day, tax collectors and religious zealots, and even some women. And these group of men and women went from this reality of what was their current situation to what could be when God stepped into their life. And what we know about these men and women is that they eventually changed the world. They changed the way that we think about the world because of what Jesus had done in their life. But, but I want to remind us that this isn't a new story. Because I think for some of us, we, we hear stories like that and we think that, oh, well, that's kind of neat and interesting. But what we, we have to understand is when we come to church, whether it's here or some other church that maybe you attend, we come to church and we hear a lot about shame and guilt and our mistakes and our past. And true, that's part of our story. And even we talk about this idea of me- how we've messed up. And, and the reality is the world that we live in is kind of our fault at times. And for sure, we've caused a lot of hurt and pain and there's chaos in our story and in the world. But what you have to realize is when we look at the biblical narrative, 
the first word spoken about us as humans is this story kind of tells that God creates everything, and when he creates everything, everything is good. And you can kind of follow this in the Genesis narrative that everything he creates is good. But then he gets to the point of the story where he creates us as human beings. And he puts us into this creation, this world as we know it, and all of a sudden the language changes. And it goes from it is good to it is very good. Because see, I think that God knew the potential that we had. In fact, one of the oldest stories that we see is about this old man. Now, at this point in the story, um, he's at the point where he's starting to believe that there's more days behind him than ahead of him. And maybe some of us relate to that feeling. And because he he sees more days behind him than ahead of him, um, maybe he's starting to think that his part of this story or his life itself is starting to come to an end. But then all of a sudden, maybe something happens. And, and, and you know, we have this expression we use in, in our culture about stuck in your ways. You, you ever heard that? And, and some of us, let's be honest, we, we've got to the point in our life where we're kind of stuck in our ways, right? I can't wait to get old because, you know, people that are older, and I'm not, but you just don't care anymore. You're just like, I'm, this is who I am, right? You know, this is what I'm going to do, and this is what I'm wearing, all right? And it's awesome, right? I can't wait for those days. But you, you kind of get to this point where this guy has all these years behind him and then there's this moment and in this story we see at 75 years old God calls this man to a new place and a new chapter in his life a place he doesn't even know and a place that God won't even tell him yet and at 75 years old this guy's story starts to take off and in fact one part of the story is that him and his wife at this point haven't been able to have children And in their culture, there's extreme significance to being able to have children, specifically if you're able to have a male child to kind of leave your lineage to. But at 75 years old, God takes this man out onto the scene one night and he he says, look up at the stars. He says, you see the stars in the sky? And he says, one day your descendants will outnumber the stars in the sky and the whole earth will be blessed because of this. And then it happened. In fact, there's very few places in the world that you can go today that you couldn't mention the story of Abraham, that there wouldn't be some people that know this guy's story. And at 75 years old, this story starts to take off. And 25 years later, close to 100 years of age, him and his wife have their first child, which I'm sure his wife was not thrilled about. (laughs) And so God took Abram or as we know him as Abraham, from this what is of his reality into what could be. And then later we're introduced to this other story about this tired shepherd. And this guy's been working for 40 years, nose to the grindstone, busting his butt, day in and day out. And maybe some of us, that's kind of how we feel. That we keep working and working and working and, and, you know, you kind of feel like life is passing you by. And maybe for some of us, because we've kind of gotten into this grindstone of work, the, the things that we once thought were dreams start to feel like a distant memory. And that's what it is for some of us. And that's what it is for this guy in this moment. Like, he has this life that it wasn't maybe the way that he had hoped and dreamed. And then one day he has this experience and he has this encounter And God tells this tired shepherd that he has heard the cry of his people. 
and that there's an oppressed people, and that there's countless people that he, this man, will become their rescuer. And after some convincing, this guy starts to believe. And now he has a purpose and he has a calling. And he will be moved from what is of his current life and the current life of these people into a story that we still tell today. And what he's told is this is what your reality is, but what could be is a promise, a land, a new chance, a new beginning, a new story. And so God takes Moses out of the relentless grind of what is and leads him into a new story of what could be. And then maybe for some of us, we don't relate to the 75-year-old and we don't relate to the 40-year-old that's been grinding away at life, but then there's this teenage boy we get introduced to. And he's the youngest of eight brothers. He's the baby of the family. And I don't have older brothers, but I will tell you, I was the baby on both sides of my family. And it is brutal sometimes. But here's this young teenager. And it's not the feeling that your days have passed you by, and maybe it's not the feeling of spinning your wheels, but feeling like you're getting nowhere. But maybe for some of us, it's because of our youth, the feeling of insignificance. You're young. So what are you going to do? Nobody takes you seriously yet. You don't know what you have to offer the world. You're just trying to figure it out. And, and this boy, what we see is that his brothers, they're kind of out blazing their own trail. They're kind of making a name for themselves. And so we see that he just sets back day after day and he plays his music. And he does whatever's needed to protect and to hold for his family. And then an opportunity presents itself. And he's cast from what is of not knowing what his life is going to be to he's cast into a new vision. A new vision that he could be a warrior and a leader and eventually a king. He's cast into a new vision of what could be. And he went from a nobody to a name that 3,000 years later that every single person that ever faces an obstacle or a moment that something seems bigger than you, we still reference the day that David faced Goliath. And it's like this ongoing story, and these are just a few of the more famous examples, but this ongoing story of the history of God taking people from what is to what could be. And, and then we introduce this other character named Jesus. And Jesus kind of steps into human history. And when Jesus steps in, it becomes more of a story, not about these legends. Like we hear about Abraham and Moses and David, and we hear about these giants and these heroes. But the reality is it becomes more about people just like you and me. It becomes more about a story of what God could do with our lives and with our circumstances and with our what is. One of my favorite stories takes place in Luke chapter 19. And again, we've referenced this story before. In fact, it's the story that we, we took our verse out of last week. And if you weren't here, we, we talked about that early on, Jesus makes it very clear what his mission is when he comes here on earth. And in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it says this, for the son of man, so this is about Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. And so we talked last week about this idea that Jesus's whole mission is to reconnect people to God, to reconnect them to a purpose, a mission, an idea of what is in your current life and your current circumstances and your current problems to what could be. 
And in this particular story, we see that Jesus and his followers are traveling. His disciples are traveling through this area. And, and they get to this area, and the crowds are starting to build because kind of rumors are starting to start about what Jesus can do and the miracles and the way that he's able to heal people and step into people's lives. And, and all of a sudden, he steps into this town. And he gets to this one particular spot, and Jesus stops in this one spot, and he looks up in this tree. And in this tree is a man who's climbed up into this tree just to see Jesus. His name was Zacchaeus, and he was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree to see what he could see. Some of you grew up in church like I did. And so uh, there was this, now in this story, it's this amazing story. He's a tax collector, and I won't rehash all the history of tax collecting, but these are outcasts in their community. Nobody likes these people. Everybody's moved on. Everybody ignores this person. Nobody likes him, so he doesn't probably have a lot of friends other than other tax collectors. So he's probably isolated himself in some ways. But there's this interesting detail we see in the story that when Jesus, he stops at this particular spot and he looks up into this tree to see Zacchaeus, um, he calls Zacchaeus by his name. And I never picked up on that detail before until I was kind of working through this series. And, and, and what's interesting to me about that is, see, Zacchaeus went that day because he had never met Jesus. He wanted to see what Jesus looked like. Who is this guy we're hearing this stuff about? Jesus had never met Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus had never met Jesus. And yet when Jesus gets to that spot on that day, he looks up into the tree. And when their eyes meet, he calls Zacchaeus by his name. So why is that such a significant detail? Because here's the question. Is it possible okay, that God knows your name? Is it possible, and maybe you're like, of course God knows my name, but no, really think about that, that God knows you. He knows where you live. He knows where you work. He knows everything there is to be known. He knows what makes you tick. He knows what gets you excited. He knows what makes you angry. And so for some of us, when we think about this, that God knows everything about us, um, it can be a little bit disturbing um, because see, most of us, we're here, we're on our best behavior, Right? But we're not always on our best behavior, are we, right? And so here's the thing is that what we think is if God knows everything about us, then he knows all the bad stuff about us, right? He knows all the things that we think. He knows all the things in our heart. He knows all the things that we said. He knows all the things that we talked about on the way here in the car when we pretended like everything was okay, right? He knows the argument that you just had. He knows all of these things. And so it can be a little disturbing to think that if there is this God, that he really knows who I am. And so even though God knows the bad things about us, the reality is there's another side to that coin. We need to understand that if God knows the worst about us, that he also knows the best about us. If he knows the bad things that are hidden from the view of others, then certainly he knows all the good that others never see. See, I believe that God believes in our potential. People often misunderstand and prejudge and are quick to condemn people, but not God. See, most people who were there that day in that crowd would have looked up into that sycamore tree and they would have seen one thing. They would have seen a despised tax collector who they viewed as a thief and a turncoat. And when Jesus looked up in that tree, he too saw a tax collector. But I don't think that's all that Jesus saw. See, he saw all that Zacchaeus was. 
he saw something in Zacchaeus that no one else ever saw. He saw what Zacchaeus might actually become. He saw what is, but he also saw what could be. And could it be true that the same is of me and you today? See, the reality is we live in this world. When people look at us, um, they know some about us, right? They can pick up on details about the conversations we have, or they can see where we work, or they can see what we do for a living, and, and they can know our personality to some degree, and they know what we maybe say out loud, because there's so many more things we do say that we never say out loud, right? They know all of that to some degree, but God knows all of you. And when he stands right there, he calls Zacchaeus by name, which means that he believes in who Zacchaeus can become. You got to think back to the original story. See, there's this theme. He called those specific disciples that day. There were other people there, but he called those guys. He saw the blind man when everybody else ignored him. He saw him. And he went to the well in that town on that day and stopped at that spot to meet that woman. Could it be that God saw the potential in all of these people and that he sees the potential in you and me? Luther Burbank was a horticulturist, which I know we don't talk about horticulturists a lot, but, um, but basically it's just like a fancy gardener, okay? But, but uh, he had this philosophy, and this philosophy was pretty interesting, was that he actually believed that some of the prettiest flowers actually came from weeds. And it wasn't all these flowers that he had groomed and all this stuff, but he actually believed some of the most beautiful things that you could see in nature actually came from the weeds. In fact, he had this quote he would often say. He would say, every weed a potential flower. And it was his belief that out of these things that we believe should be gotten rid of, that we spray to kill because they make our yard looks bad or our gardens look bad, he said these could actually be some of the most beautiful things. He went on to say later that a flower is just an educated weed. Michelangelo was this great painter and sculptor. And one day there's this famous story about Michelangelo where he goes to the quarry to get his stone. And, and when he gets there, there's this one piece of marble that everybody else had kind of left there. And so he, everybody's kind of looking around and Michelangelo takes this piece of marble that nobody else wanted. They've been sitting there for a while. And when the people asked Michelangelo why he chose that particular piece of marble, here's what he said. He said, there is an angel inside and I just want to let it out. He saw the potential in this piece of rock that nobody else saw. And the story goes that Michelangelo proceeded to work with a mallet, hammer, and chisel, sweat, and toil, and long hours until he brought about that angel. See, sometimes it's about seeing the potential that nobody else sees. If you don't like the quotes of great gardeners, and you don't like the story of Michelangelo, Maybe you'll appreciate the story of the young theologian named Little Wayne when he was in prison. He read the Bible for the first time. And here's what Little Wayne's response was to the stories that he read in the Bible. He says, it was deep. I like the parts where some character was once this, but then ended up being that. Like he'd be dissing Jesus, and then he ends up being a saint. That was cool. It is, isn't it? It's this idea of God being able to take something 
And the what is of that thing's reality and the what is of life with all of the pain and the heartache and the shortcomings and the failures, he can take what is and he can turn it into something else. The what could be. Sometimes we look at people and we only see the worst. Jesus looks at people and sees not only the bad, but also the good. And he, seems to, he seeks to bring out the best in us. See, no one else dared dream that day that that selfish little man in that tree could become an open-handed and generous follower of Jesus. But he did. And we have to believe that Jesus saw all of this. Now, there's this guy named Paul, and Paul writes a lot of the New Testament. In fact, if you take the time to open up your Bible, you'll see this name over and over again, and you'll see all these letters that he wrote to these early churches. Now, Paul is kind of the poster child, if you don't know, for what is to what could be. He goes from one thing, and he goes from actively trying to eliminate the message of Jesus and the movement of Jesus to being the biggest attribute and contributor that we have in the first century to the movement of Jesus. Now, in Romans chapter 7, Paul acknowledges this interesting idea. Because, see, I think that for all of us, we, we hear this and we think about, well, we do want to do good. We do want to become better. We, we do like the idea of becoming this and then moving to this. And so this is this interesting idea. But in, Paul chapter, in Romans chapter 7, Paul just calls it out. And here's what he says. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but, but just you guys can read it on your own. He talks about this context we all faced where we want to do good. We want to believe in our human potential and that we can do good in this world and good in our life and good with the gifts that we've been given and the opportunities we've been given. But he says, but there's this problem. There's like these other forces inside of me. And he goes on to say that even though I want to do good, what I end up finding myself often doing is the very thing that I don't want to do. And even though I want to do good with my life, I end up sometimes doing the things that I actually hate that I actually did because of the guilt and the shame that comes with it. And, and so he sets up this human dilemma, this human problem that we had, that, that, that we, we live in this tension. For a lot of us, we hear messages, we come to church, that's why we're here. We do what we can because we want to do good. We want to do good with our life and the opportunities that God's given us just to even exist. But then there's all of these other forces, it feels like at times, including our own minds and hearts at times, that are working against us. And so here's what is, but we want to be moved to what could be. And so Paul, he acknowledges this problem we, we all face. And, and so later on, he's going to remind us, as he does over and over again, that this is different when it comes to Jesus. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says this. He says, starting in verse 18, So we have stopped evaluating others from the human point of view. See, if we only look at each other and ourselves from the human point of view, it's going to be frustrating, and it's going to be hard, and we're going to get frustrated with ourselves and other people. And he goes on to say, At one time, we thought Christ merely from a human point of view. So all of us in this room, we once thought about this message of reconciliation and hope and this message of moving from what is to what could be. We all viewed it the same way. And we even thought of Jesus the same way. But he goes on to say how differently we know him now. Because now, and here's the point of all of these stories, is we had an encounter with Jesus and the way we saw Jesus, but also the way we saw ourselves has dramatically changed. This means, verse 17, that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. And so Paul paints this really this kind of clear picture. He says, the way that you have to view this is you were this, and now you're this. 
You lived in the what is, but now you live in the what could be. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. So there's this reconciliation. Again, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. What Paul tells us in the scripture is that the message of Jesus, the hope of Jesus, is a reconciliation of all things. See, we can continue to view it through the lens of everything that's wrong and everything that's bad. And there are some wrong things and some bad things. Or we can view it through this message of what could be, what could actually happen. I do a lot of counseling with people um, and Eventually, it almost always happens that we eventually get to a point where after several sessions or some time talking and listening to people and, and, and you know, we, we listen and we hear and, and, you know, pretty early on and kind of people talking and it's not that I'm like gifted. I've just been doing this for a long time. I can kind of pick apart like here's what's really going on. Here's the real problem. And there's always layers. There's always a thing behind the thing. Um, but eventually what it kind of comes down to is that every person believes that this is the way it has to be. Whatever problems you're facing, whatever tension you're facing, whatever issues you're facing, we, we kind of believe that this is just the way it has to be. And eventually, I'll stop the person and I'll just say very simply, you know, it doesn't have to be the way it's always been. Your tomorrow doesn't have to look like today. It really doesn't. It doesn't always have to be the way it's always been. You, you have a choice in every day on the type of person that you're becoming. We collectively have a choice of the type of world that we're creating. It doesn't have to be the way it's always been. But in order for you to get there is you have to stop living in the what is and you have to start believing in what could be. We started this series with this question that Jesus asks his early followers. He's walking down the beach one day and these disciples of John the Baptist who've been following him see Jesus and, and they now decide to start to follow Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and he asks them this question. And here's the question. He says this, what are you looking for? Another way of saying that, in fact, some translations actually say it this way, is what do you want? This is the first recorded question that Jesus asks humans. What do you want? What are you looking for? And it can't be lost on us that the first recorded question that God asks man all the way back in the garden after sin enters the world is he asks the question, where are you at? And it wasn't a geographical question. It was a soul-searching heart question. And so Jesus looks at you and he says, what do you want? What are you looking for? Are you looking for it to be the way that it's always been? The what is of your reality? Or do you believe that something more could be? So where are you? What is your this is it? Your what is? 
See, it's a continuing story of what is versus what could be. So let's just talk about the pointed questions. What is right now in your life? Okay? What is in your marriage? Is it where you want it to be? What are you looking for? What is, it, what is in your job situation? Are you like Moses that you're just nose to the grindstone for 40 years, day in and day out doing this, and you're not even sure what you're doing? What is in your family? How is home? How's it going? Is it everything you hoped it could be? What is in your heart? What are you feeling? What is your reality in your mind right now? See, I think for some of us, the reality is, is our what is, is we're carrying around things that we were never meant to carry. And it's just there. Are you somebody that's working aimlessly, hoping to make ends meet, looking for something more, but you just don't see it? Are you somebody that's been begging and searching and looking for something that will change the narrative in your life? Or are you someone whose thirst has taken you down paths you never expected to go? And now, just like the woman from last week, you feel isolated and alone, full of guilt and shame. And so what is, what is right now? And what are you looking for? Jesus would say it this way, what do you want? And have you ever stopped to ask the question, what could be? So Jesus, he looks at these early followers. And he says, just come and see. Just come and see. And maybe for some of us, we need to take seriously the invitation. Because we're living in the what is. And we need to start to believe in what could be. And what we need to do is answer the invitation of Jesus. To just simply come and see. Come and see. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. And God, I pray that we do believe in the potential that you see in us that maybe we don't. God, it's not lost on me that when man enters the world, even though we've caused so much hurt and pain, the original message was that it's very good. It's very good what we can do when we partner with you in this world and in our lives. And so God, my hope is that, that we start to believe in what could be. We start to believe that this is what is, but gosh, it could be so much more. God, that there's potential in us God, that there's, there's hope in us. God, that could we actually believe that, that it doesn't have to be the way it's always been? Do, could we actually believe that we are a new creation? That what is was then, but what it could be is the potential that you put into our lives. God, may we never take for granted these stories of these real men and women who face a choice just like we did. Do we believe? Do we answer the call? Do we follow? And these stories that we see are men and women who answered and they said yes. And history changed, their lives changed, villages changed as they were cast into a new vision of what could be not only for them but for the world around them. And so God, may we always trust in you. May we always believe in the grace that you give us, the hope that you give us, the mercy that you give us, the love that you give us. 
And may we always believe that our best days are not behind us, but in front of us. So we love you and we thank you. And we thank you for the hope that we have in you. In your son's name we pray, amen. Every week we come to this time where we celebrate communion. Uh, It's this time we remember the hope that we have in Jesus. And if this is new to you or you're unfamiliar with this, we just take a time where Jesus looks at his friends one day. He says, this is my body and this is my blood given to you. And that's what we believe, that he's reconciling all things, includes us and our lives and our dreams and our hopes. So we just take this time every week as we start to worship that we just remember.